Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Gary. Just a warning that today's podcast once again deals with some mature topics, and while there is some of the usual silliness, it's probably not appropriate for younger listeners. With that said, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Grantling. And I'm Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Connor Orr. Hi, Gary. I've always wanted to do that. 60 Minutes is so cool. Yeah, you got to do like Mike Wallace, though, or something. Mike Wallace, that's true. Maury um, Safer. John Wertheim. John Wertheim. Of Sports uh, Illustrated. Come Wer- on. Wertheim's from the new class. That's true. He's like... Um, He's like in Family Matters. Like all of a sudden, one year, like you just turned it on, and then the 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 wife is different. Carl's wife is different. It's just a different Gloria. It's just a different person. Mm-hmm. They Still do that good, to though. you sometimes. Still good. <laughs> that's that's John Wertheim. <laughs> all right, so we got a couple of things coming up here. Uh, we're going to talk some Deshaun Watson at the top. We're also going to talk about the Steelers' new general manager. Uh, we'll have a little bit of Pro Bowl, just a little bit of Pro Bowl talk, and then... Uh, I got Pro Bowl to- takes, baby. Oh, I got no Pro Bowl takes. We'll, I, have, we'll, I have a show's worth of Pro Bowl takes. We'll go. get to it. I will grit my teeth and we'll get to it. And uh, <laughs> in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Stephanie Epstein of Sports Illustrated to talk about the Trevor Bauer situation major league baseball which uh has some similarities we're not talking apples to apples but some similarities with the deshaun watson 
cases. But uh, that's where we are starting here. Deshaun Watson uh, on HBO Real Sports on Tuesday night. Uh, two of the women who have shared their accounts of sexual misconduct and are uh, currently filing civil suits against Watson spoke to HBO. Uh, one of Watson's attorneys also spoke to HBO with with uh, kind of his side of the story there. But we'll start with sort of the, the broader point here, uh, which is this is really the first time we've seen from an independent national media outlet uh, basically the video presentation of the story. We at Sports Illustrated obviously have have basically put out every single piece of evidence on the uh, on the actual case, but video makes a difference. It does. And I thought, um, you know, I commend uh, the two women who went on Tuesday. I can't imagine that's easy. We work in a sports environment that we know is unfriendly to... Um, to women in general. Um, and I think anyone who's had the, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know what you would call a, a desire to scroll through comments on any of these stories. And so you know what they're setting themselves up for. You, th They know mm -hmm. kind of how horrifying and unfair and, and dark this period is going to be. But it, it, there's there's just been a continued concerted effort to get their truth out there. And so I think, you know, kudos to them for doing it. I, I can't imagine that's easy. I can't imagine talking about the worst day of my life over and over again. Um, and uh, I, I think it, I think it makes a difference. I think um, we're starting to see, I mean, Kevin Stefanski was asked about it again today um, during, um, uh, during their, was it OTAs, minicamp, whatever's going yeah, on right now. Yeah. OTAs. Um, but, um, you know, so I, I think it keeps it in the public consciousness and I think it keeps the Browns from having to be like, now, you know, there's nothing else we can do about this. So one thing we've gotten a sense of in the past 24 or 48 hours here is a little more of, of what Watson's defense is. Uh, he did have one of his attorneys uh, on the HBO show sort of uh, responding and, and reacting to, uh, again, these these accounts which have come out. Uh, a couple of things that I want to mention before we get into one very specific part of their defense. But uh, first of all, I, I know Rusty Harden has come out and said, you know, well, we chose not to try this through the media, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they, they did. They did multiple <laughs> press conferences. Uh, right. They, uh, I have personally spent eight to ten hours uh, total on the phone with uh, uh, with their legal team, which is looked totally normal. But, you know, the Busby team did not interact with us very much. Uh, even when we had a lot of information criticizing them, uh, they just didn't, uh, they didn't get into it. Uh, you know, we, we offer both sides a chance to speak off the record, uh, if they'd like, uh, you know, the Harden camp had taken, uh, taken advantage of that. I will say, because they kind of broke the agreement, first of all, uh, when Rusty, you know, basically, flat out said that Jenny had some sort of Jenny Francis had some sort of vendetta uh, against Deshaun Watson and was biased in reporting. Uh, they did not like one of our questions to them, which we did not make public, uh, that, uh, you know, did they think it was appropriate to have a uh, female attorney who identified as a sexual assault survivor basically make the argument at a press conference that Deshaun Watson was essentially too desirable to have done anything without consent because a lot of people would want to sleep with him. Therefore, these women also must have wanted to sleep with him. 
it seemed like a very inappropriate argument to make to us. Uh, they took a lot of umbrage with the way we phrased the question, um, and uh, and and Rusty Harden <laughs> ran with that and said that Jenny was a biased reporter, and uh, it was all just kind of absurd. So I do want to set aside this misconception that uh, that Watson's camp has not attempted to try tried this through the media because they have, and Tony Busby obviously very very much has, but. Um, one very specific thing that has come out is the the Watson camp is now uh, essentially saying that there were three women who had consensual sexual acts after massages with Deshaun Watson. Now that you know, there, there's there's 19 other plaintiffs. There are two others who filed criminal complaints. There was the woman who uh, goes by the pseudonym Mary, who spoke to Sports Illustrated, but is not. Uh, filing a civil suit at this point. Uh, there are more than two dozen women, but they are saying these three did have consensual uh, sexual encounters with Deshaun Watson after a massage. And it just does kind of bring up a really interesting, I don't know, I guess angle here, because, I mean, it, it kind of opens up the possibility, or you might even say probably at this point, that uh, Deshaun Watson was essentially using these, uh, you know, these massage therapy appointments to uh, try to get sex, try to have some sort of sexual act performed on him. And uh, that is kind of at the heart of what a lot of these women are alleging at this point, that he wanted that, they didn't want that, and it became a non-consensual interaction that they had. So I think what it does is it places Deshaun Watson even further away from the typical interactions that we see between football players and massage therapists. And I think that you and Jenny did a phenomenal job of outlining that relationship. Uh, A lot of players in those stories that you guys did said, hey, you know, Maybe we have two, three, four throughout an an entirety of a healthy, long career and not like Deshaun Watson, who I don't know. What what would the total number be at this point? Because there's 22 women in the suit, but it's probably over 40 masseuses that he has used at one point or another. Right. On on the record, uh, it's 44 different massage therapists. Uh, That's the 22 plaintiffs. There's a plaintiff who withdrew her suit. Uh, the quote was for now because she had privacy concerns when her name was going to become public. There are 18 therapists who offered statements in support of Watson through Harden's firm. Uh, one of them, by the way, also spoke to us for uh, for our piece in May 2021. And uh, yeah, so we're talking. Uh, and then there's there's Mary who gave us her account. So uh, that's uh, uh, right. We're up to 44 now. Yeah. So you have 10 times the amount of massage therapy uh mas- massage therapists as a tenured player in the NFL over the course of their entire career and Deshaun Watson is still at the very beginning of what could be a very you know a very long career. And so I think that this information further places a wedge between um the typical athlete massage therapist relationship. I think it further sets him up as somebody who was using these um, meetings either unknowingly um, 
you know, either you don't know what a massage is or this was part of the plan. I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I we none of us can none of us can spend time in his head and, and understand what the what the what the plan was here. But it, for certain, we know based on the details of these meetings that he went into all these a lot of these situations, um, you know, not wanting to wear a towel, you know, uh, doing a lot of things that would set up these uh, these encounters the way that he wanted them to go, that he wasn't planning on this being a typical massage. So I, I don't think this helps his case in any way, shape or form. Um, but again, how deep is the general public in the weeds on this? Um, you know, all we can do is, you know, keep rehashing the reporting that, that you and Jenny did on this podcast, placing it into the proper context. Um, but I think there will be people who will certainly side with Deshaun Watson's legal team and say, yeah, I mean, you know, that's what happens for famous people. They just walk around all the time and, you know, everyone, you know, that's life. You know, I've seen, uh, oh, what's, what's that terrible show? Entourage. Like, oh, I've seen Entourage. Like, this is how it just happens. You know, this is life, and uh, it, which couldn't be further from the truth. And one other thing I just want to bring up real quick before we move on, and I, I know I've said this before, and I just want to sort of rehash it one more time to emphasize this. Uh, the, the dynamic of the lawyers, the celebrity lawyers, has really just taken over this story for so many people, and it becomes more of a Rusty Hardin's firm versus Tony Busby's firm. Uh, and I admit I didn't know Tony Busby before uh, before this all unfolded in early 2021, but he is a celebrity in Houston. Uh, he had run a self-funded campaign for mayor down there a couple of years ago. Uh, he is a big name down there. Rusty Hardin is obviously a, a really big name down in that uh, area. <sighs> you know, the Hardin camp has once again sort of made the point that, okay, well, 22 women, they all came together under Tony Busby. But again, if you go back to the piece that we did in May, and I will put the link in the uh, show notes, there was a time when Ashley Solis was the only one out there. There was no, you know secret meeting of 22 women who all said, let's come forward and do this. Ashley Solis was alone. We have corroborating evidence, a, a friend of Ashley Solis's who had reached out to another massage therapist uh, asking, you know, Deshaun Watson uh, was inappropriate with my friend. What do we do? Uh, this also all unfolded well before Deshaun Watson made a trade request. I, I can't believe that that conspiracy theory will not die. It continues to come up. Uh, we have not written glowingly about the Houston Texans at Sports Illustrated, but we can say definitively this is not a case of the uh, Houston Texans somehow setting up Deshaun Watson in some way. This was happening uh, weeks before Watson made his his trade demand from that team. So uh, these things keep popping up. Like I said, Ashley Solis has been independently corroborated by our reporting. We also have uh, Mary, who obviously is is not working with the Busby firm in these cases. There are people independent of the plaintiffs in this case. If you want to take that cynical view and say, this is a conspiracy where 22 women got together and said, we're going to get money, we're going to take this guy down, that is incredibly unlikely anyway. But also, there's already independent reporting out there refuting that uh, that theory. So that's where we are. <laughs> People are still not going to understand it for the most part. 
but I'll say it again, and we'll have Jenny Vrentis on again at some point, and we'll we'll rehash the whole thing one more time. There was that um, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie that just came out, and I didn't see it, but apparently it's a they're like warning everyone that an asteroid is gonna hit the Earth. Oh yeah, yeah, the Netflix one with the yeah. Uh, yeah. I would imagine that's a lot like having worked on this story where you're just like, hey, no, we already have all the, like, we're telling you what's going to happen. And everyone's just like, yeah, da da, you know. I think that was the whole point of the Netflix movie, right? Was that they're like, hey, an asteroid's going to hit Earth. And they're just like, look at this dog on Instagram, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I I imagine that's what this process has been like. Oh, there's so a lot of people. It's it's like this, the chin-scratching emoji is what they, they are kind of uh, putting out there. And it's kind of like... Well, isn't it funny that Deshaun Watson demands a trade and then this happens? It's like, no, no, no. That's already <laughs> been debunked <laughs> so many times. Please stop saying it. Someone they, get us on Snopes. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> he is He is not even making that argument. I mean, it would be <laughs> – and set aside, if there wasn't already just objective, irrefutable proof – that this was already happening well before the trade demand. Uh, if a team did this to a player, oh my God, like Calvin Nair would lose his team. Yeah. Uh, everyone in that organization <laughs> would, would be unable to work in professional sports ever again. Right. I mean, it would be, it would be the most outrageous thing uh, any organization had ever done to one of its employees. So uh, let's, let's throw that one out. And um, we'll just wrap up the Watson stuff on this. I do just want to bring up one more time because you wrote about this today, Connor. Uh, today being Wednesday when we're when we're taping the podcast. Sorry to ruin the magic for everyone just uh, momentarily there, but uh, the Browns have still not really said whether they think Deshaun Watson is telling them the truth. Uh, they obviously, they did their own investigation. Uh, I'm sure they uncovered a lot of the stuff that we were able to cover. They, like us, do not have, uh, subpoena power, but they can, you know, they can, they hire professional investigators and they are able to get to places through, you know, just good old fashioned hard work. Uh, but when they did the introductory press conference in March, you know, Deshaun Watson used the phrase, uh, I have never disrespected a woman, uh, or or something along those lines, disrespect uh, kept on coming up. I've never disrespected a woman. He said that four times while sitting between Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. At the end of that press conference, Andrew Barry was asked point blank uh, whether the Browns believed there was wrongdoing by Watson that was uncovered in their investigation. And Barry's answer was, we feel confident in Deshaun the person. We have a lot of faith in him. We believe that as he gets into the community and our organization, he is going to make a positive impact. Now, that's not an answer to the question uh, of whether they uncovered wrongdoing. It's, you know, no one's asked them point blank, do you believe the women or do you believe Deshaun Watson? Uh, we don't know their answer to it. And, you know, you can say, okay, well, they technically don't have to answer any of this. I mean, they can... Uh, bury their heads in the sand and say, let's go play some football and win some games. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will forget about it over the years. But uh, if you, dear listener, as I believe that, you know, NFL uh, teams have a tremendous amount of sway and influence over some of the larger conversations we have in our society, uh, I think it is important that at some point they answer these questions. Yeah, uh, and th you know that the column was really piggybacking off of that conversation. I mean, you had brought that point up 
uh, when when we were initially talking about the uh, Deshaun Watson's press conference, and you know that was always something that I thought was important to get out there because here's the way I look at it: there are three possible scenarios at this point, and all of them could be. We could get to the truth if they would just answer this question. Do you believe Deshaun Watson when he says he's never disrespected a woman? Either they do believe him, right? And they think all 22 women are lying, um, which if true, they should come out and say that. Um, Either they don't believe him and they signed him anyway, which imagine signing someone to the largest guaranteed contract in the history of sports, right? Am I having Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, uh, if you don't, if if they can't tell you the truth, and you know that, um, that would be a crazy mistake. Or they know exactly what's true, and they know exactly what's not true, and they're betting on all of us and our tendency to move on from things after a while. That's probably the most likely <laughs> scenario in my mind. Uh, you know, th- throughout that press conference. I got the feeling, this is just me saying this, that what they were saying by saying, we did all this work, let me describe to you the level of detail that we did on this work. It's like, we did this work to make sure that like we we know we can kind of get away, not get away with this, but handle it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Like, we didn't do the work to make sure he didn't do it. We did the work to make sure that we've kind of crossed our T's and dotted our I's yeah, if and I, when crap hits the fan. I would use the term manageable. We wanted to make sure it was, right. this is my word, not theirs, uh, that this was manageable. Uh, right. It is not great what we found, but uh, we can we can handle it, or at least right. they believe they can. They probably had some kind of threshold, and it's like, did what we uncovered fall into this threshold? They believe, yes. I mean, again, this is just my speculation on it, but that was the feel I got. I watched the press conference again the other day, and it was kind of even more, it felt more pronounced to me than it did at the time when I was listening to it. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, What? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless. 
From the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic, I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big pop it ran sucks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Pittsburgh Steelers wrap up their general manager search here. Uh, Omar Khan, who has been there for, boy, more than more than 20 years now. How time flies. Uh, he had previously been, uh, his, his title was Vice President of Football and Business Administration. Most recently, he gets promoted with uh, Kevin Colbert uh, stepping away and uh, wrapping up his impressive tenure here. So, Omar Khan. Yeah, um, good for Omar, uh, a finalist for the Jets GM search in 2014, 13, uh, to replace Mike Tannenbaum. It was the Idzik, uh, Idzik, uh, yes, uh, the John okay. Idzik hire. And um, I'm not sure if this is the reason that it came down to it, but um, I wonder if he didn't want to trade Darrell Rivas. And that's why he is still in Pittsburgh to this day. 
and because uh, I think part of the prerequisite for the GM search at that point was you gotta you gotta get rid of Revis. I'm sick of him <laughs> holding out every six months and then costing us millions of dollars, and so you have to just trade him for mm-hmm. for two first round picks to Greg Schiano, um, who was gonna play him in zone defense. Crazy. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's write a book about the Jets, and um, but yeah, I I think this is a good move. I wrote this after the draft when everyone was freaking out about the Kenny Pickett selection. This is one of the three best franchises in sports. He, he's going to be fine. Kenny Pickett's going to be fine. That front office is just set up really, really well. Everybody's going to be fine. Uh, and Kevin Colbert, I think, insinuated, right, that he would be in the building, kind of like Ozzie Newsom is in the building. And as long as he shows up with his notebook and says, here's the receivers you should draft this year, everybody's going to be fine. Everybody's going to be fine. Steelers are going to be fine. And Omar Khan kept them under the cap during some dicey situations. So he did. I, he I, did. I think he, I think well-deserved. Um, the only thing I'm upset about that didn't wait, that they didn't wait a little longer. I have a predictions post coming in a week. Mm-hmm. And one of my big predictions for the season was the Steelers were going to name Omar Khan their general manager. So I'm just a little Aww. bummed that they didn't wait, you know, until Aww. after, you know, just, you know, just check with me, Steelers, you know. Check with my content plan and then <laughs> work with it. Could have held off a couple of weeks. Could have. Yeah. Do, do the right nice. thing, guys. Yeah, come on. <sighs> All right. Stephanie Apstein coming up in just a minute. I am, boy. Uh, Are you going to ignore the Pro Bowl? No, we'll do Pro Bowl. Da, da, I, da, I will da, I will, uh, I will. poop on this party right at the top, and then I'll basically just I'll, I'll give the floor to you, Connor. Uh, I just don't think they should do the Pro Bowl. I think they should name a Pro Bowl team, uh, give those guys whatever, uh, send them the, the Circuit City gift card, uh, and then <laughs> go from there. Circuit City was awesome because they had the logo that was the plug, and then it went, and it like plugged into the ground. Do you remember that? A little. Like the commercial, spent, like, yeah, I mean, Cir- I mean, Circuit you were City, way you s- more Circuit City than I was. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of hours there. I spent multiple hours of my life there at some point. It was right by the mall. It's where you went to buy CDs. You bought mm-hmm. CDs at Circuit City? Yeah. We had uh, FYE, For Your Entertainment, oh. at the mall. Um, yep. And yep. Gallery of Sound was a good one. And the interesting thing about Gallery of Sound, before we get to the Pro Bowl, is that they had uh, the way that their store was set was set up. Uh, you walked in, and there was the metal detector right when you walked in, so that you couldn't remember the CDs used to have that giant plastic uh, protection barrier thing that you yes. unlocked at the yep. register. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, they had the gallery sound had this metal detector right when you walked in, but it was next to a shelf. And I don't know why they put an outward facing bookshelf next to the metal detector, but any enterprising person could walk up to the beginning of the metal detector, slide the CD on the shelf past the outside of the metal detector, walk through the metal detector and pick up the CD. And I remember, oh, gosh, my friend stole. Oh, Man, this is going to be like indicative of how <laughs> terrible our taste in music was back then. Um uh, a sublime CD? No. Uh, a disturbed CD? Okay, so the we we liked the uh the, he liked let, let me put this on him cuz I don't like this song at all, but he liked it ironically and played it a lot 
ironically, but American Hi-Fi Flavor of the oh, Week. Oh, I hate that song. Yeah, oh. it was bad. It and, was uh, brutal. It was the yeah. worst song of that era. And he stole that. And I always thought about stealing stuff from there, but never did because I'm I'm a scared person. But also because I would always get $30 gift cards to Gallery of Sound. But that was not okay. enough for two CDs. It was right. never enough because of the taxes. And so it was like, you know, you were always, you know, CD back then was like 15 bucks. Yeah. Know? Crazy. Yeah. In this economy. Oh, man. That bookshelf, though, with the metal, that that's a, I mean, that's, that's Ocean's 14 right there. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All you need is some bored kids in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, and, and we'll, we'll crack a safe for you. But, um, so... I wrote this two years ago. We sh- I agree with you. There should not be a Pro Bowl. There should have never been a Pro Bowl. But what there should be is a showcase of all the things that we would want to see anyway, right? So send Tyreek Hill down there to race. Like Tyreek Hill talks about racing people all the time. Make him race people at the Pro Bowl. <laughs> um, offensive linemen talk about how strong they are all the time. Throw the keg over your, um, you know, uh, remember they used to do the strongman competitions yes. on ESPN? Yep. Um, and they used to whip the kegs over their back. Oh, yeah. Magnus Ver Magnuson. Yep. Yes. Uh, Magnus Samuelson, wasn't it? I thought it was like a Magnus Ver Magnuson, right? <laughs> I think his name is Magnus Samuelson. <laughs> the strongman. Oh, no, definitely. Magnus Ver Magnuson, Icelandic former powerlifter and strongman competitor. Okay, but there's also a Magnus Samuelson. Okay, fair. Uh, <laughs> I guess there could be two Magnuses. He was, uh, and this one was on all the time. I remember this one. Uh, winner of the 1998 World's Strongest Man Contest mm-hmm. held in Morocco. A classic on ESPN. Um, Magnus Samuelson, uh, everybody. But uh, <laughs> let <laughs> make... We're going to get Magnus Ver Magnuson and Magnus Samuelson to, uh, I don't know, have some sort of head-to-head competition on our behalf. Talk- Talk about people that should be on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but make the offensive linemen do that. I mean, don't make them, but say that they can do it if they want to do it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you know, you're going to have two kickers down there. Make them just blast kicks from absurd lengths. So I, so this is – here's the reason I love the Pro Bowl. Um, I used to, when I worked at NFL Network, um, it, it was clear like I was not one of the f- – favorite employees there and so like the pro bowl was essentially like the like hey screw you you're not going to the super bowl thing um and so you would get sent to orlando uh, but i did go to turtle bay one year in hawaii which was awesome oh, nice. last yeah. last hawaii pro bowl um yeah. i had we walked there's a the entire city gridlocked of honolulu mm-hmm. and it was like an hour before the game and so i had to walk two miles off the highway uh my old boss dropped me off and i hopped i climbed and hopped the fence um and it was like a huge like a 12 foot drop uh into the parking lot and (laughs) these people were just tailgating at the pro bowl and they're like hey Uh, and i was like hi i'm covering the event for the nfl and i just like parachuted in like a (laughs) stormtrooper um so i've been to I, i have a lot of pro bowl experience uh, one year, uh, the social media team for the NFL was following around Justin Tucker and got to watch him just do all sorts of crazy stuff. Marquette King, you remember the punter? Yep. yep, yep. Uh, g- going and doing a bunch of crazy stuff. That's what the Pro Bowl should be. 
The Pro Bowl should be Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen standing next to each other and throwing the ball as far as they can. That's it. Like, stop talking about it on social media and say, like, and then we'll have the Pro Football Talk post, ha ha, Josh Allen thinks you could just do it. Do it during the Pro Bowl. You're all going to be down there. You know, give these guys a couple drinks and, and let it rip. That's what the Pro Bowl should have always been. Remember, like, hockey skills and drills? When they had the targets in the corner, upper corners of the yeah, net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do yeah. that. That's what. I, that's all I want. And and they kind of used to do that. You remember like all the great QB challenge stuff. Yeah, where, they like, had the pay- QB club stuff. Yeah, yeah. Bring that back. I guess I'm still not going to watch it. You would watch. You would watch that. Stop it. I don't think if, so. If they had Jacoby Brissett head to head with who's a quarterback you really don't like. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I like everyone else. Okay. Uh, can, no, you, it would it would have to be Jacoby Brissett versus Tua, so I can settle once and for all uh, that Jacoby Brissett yeah. was the best quarterback on the team. What if it was Jacoby versus Tua, and they had the little the the robots with the targets on them zipping back and forth? You would watch that. I still wouldn't watch. That would be too yes, emotional would. for me. That would be too emotional for me. But um, <laughs> but yeah. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the the play gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. (laughs) Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're saying right now? He's he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop. 
Hey, Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Connor, now is the time of the show when we welcome in Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated senior writer covering Major League Baseball. Steph, what's up? That's the kind of response I hope to get in in the rest of my life. Just cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Not too much. I'm at one of your, well, I guess not your favorite place, but a place where some of your favorite people are. I'm at Yankee Stadium uh, working on some stuff about the Orioles. So yes. I, I am just going to start out by pandering in case that helps the questions <laughs> the quiz show at the end. We will have you playing uh, more than four, but fewer than six questions in just a bit. But uh, we brought you on. We are going to pepper you with some Orioles questions. So we'll, we'll, yeah. you know, we'll save it for the end. Uh, Let's build suspense. Listeners, if you hate it, you can just stop the show in 15 minutes and just know what's coming. But uh, we brought you on because we wanted to talk a little bit of uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, who you have been covering. And I don't want to go back too far. I'm not going to go back to Abner Doubleday. But uh, uh, I do want to explain to our listeners, some of whom maybe not baseball fans. We have a lot of overseas folks who maybe don't uh, follow quite as closely uh, non-NFL American sports. But uh just real quick, so Trevor Bauer, uh, he's a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was the 2020 Cy Young Award winner as the top pitcher in the National League when he was with the Reds. Uh, he had signed a deal with the Dodgers before the 2021 season. Uh, weird deal, by the way. Three years, $102 million, and there was an opt-out for Bauer after each of those seasons. So that's a, I guess that was a nice setup for him. Um, he was put on administrative leave. On July 2nd, 2021, Uh, then in April of this year, Major League Baseball suspended him for 324 games. That is uh, the exact equivalent of two 162-game seasons uh, under the MLB Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. Uh, And that suspension, by the way, does not include the 99 games he missed while on administrative leave. Uh, I say all of that to make the point that 
Trevor Bauer is a very talented baseball player who did some things uh, that have now gotten him a significant, uh, really unprecedented suspension from Major League Baseball. And again, not an apples-to-apples comparison, but uh, there are some similarities when it comes to Bauer's situation and the cases against Deshaun Watson. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, Stephanie, is if you could just sort of get us up to speed on uh, what Bauer did to get himself into this mess here. Sure. Uh, and actually, yeah, the the comparison to Deshaun Watson has been made sort of obliquely by none other than Bauer himself. So you're not the first mm-hmm. person to draw that, uh, that connection. But uh, we'll get to that. So Trevor Bauer, uh, allegedly... The 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 way the first so what happened the the order is a little bit difficult here because there were multiple women but the last one came forward first so uh, okay. in July of last year so she's both the third and first woman so the in July <laughs> of last year when she this a woman uh, uh, filed for a temporary restraining order against Trevor Bauer saying that he had basically taken rough sex too far consensual rough sex that she had agreed to some level of rough sex, but then it had ended with him choking her and like anally penetrating her when she was unconscious and punching her while she was unconscious and doing these things that she had not consented to. Um, the petition for the immediate, so the initial restraining order, the temporary restraining order was approved when it later went to a trial, to a, a bigger hearing um, for a longer term restraining order that was denied. Uh, but at that point, as soon as the restraining order as soon as the temporary one was approved, Bauer was placed on administrative leave. While he was on administrative leave, uh, two other women, one back then and one more recently came forward with similar allegations that consensual rough sex had turned into something more than that that they did not approve of and were upset about. Um, so it, there is a question of pattern. And then he also denies, we should say, he denies all of the allegations. He says that he did not do some of the things of which he was accused and the things that he did do were things that these women asked him to do. Uh, he has not been found guilty in any court. Uh, police departments have declined to press charges, but Major League Baseball does not need any kind of guilty finding. Uh, and so Major League Baseball conducted its own investigation and decided that he had done enough to merit a two season suspension, which is double the previous longest suspension. So what did the Dodgers know at the point where they signed the contract? How were they able to do any fact finding at this point? Or was this, how did they fit into the timeline? The Dodgers have not publicly commented really in any way. Uh, From my understanding, the Dodgers say that they had not, that they did not know any of the stuff. Uh, The other two allegations were, about things that happened before, uh, like well before the, the 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 allegation that spurred things was in April after he had she alleged that he did the stuff in April after he had signed with the Dodgers, so they they obviously couldn't have known about that. But the two previous allegations uh, occurred when he was playing for the Reds and for the now Cleveland Guardians, so two two Ohio incidents. They say that they did not know about either of those. Um, I don't know, the Washington Post was able to find the records, but the Washington Post was also specifically looking for them. So, I don't know. All I can say is the Dodgers say they didn't know. So, the Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy, it's it's been around since 2015, so we don't have, you know, in 
NFL circles were always talking about precedent and, and well, you know, Watson cases like this, or it's a little bit like this, or whatever it might be. I can't imagine there's been anything close to a to a precedent for this kind of case here. Um, I, just, I, I guess, kind of overall, what what's the sense of of gosh, I, I guess, kind of where this fits in in the history of uh, uh, similar cases in MLB, and and how do other cases like this? or, I don't know, other cases under this policy typically get resolved? Yeah, this is a very, this is um, purposely a very unusual length of suspension. As I mentioned, the last, the previous, uh, I'm trying to pull up now, I think there have been about, I don't even want to say, there there haven't been a ton of cases adjudicated under this Mm -hmm. policy because it is fairly new, Um, but the, the previous record had been a year. Uh, Petra Sam Dyson, who allegedly abused his girlfriend and also their, uh, I believe, cat, a pet. Um, mm. So two years is definitely unprecedented. But the other thing that makes this one unique is that usually that as part of the investigation process, the league will work with the players union and the player in question to settle on a punishment. And then the player agrees on it and the player also at that point gets time generally gets time served for whatever he missed while he was on administrative leave which is a non-punitive leave like he gets paid um mm-hmm. he gets service time but he is just not and the, the team can replace him on the roster or whatever but he's not able to play uh so in in those cases generally the like if a player had been out for a year you would get credit for that time in this case because bauer did not agree with investigators uh, he didn't settle with them they are basically like okay well this is what we're doing it's two years and it the clock starts now rather than almost a year ago when he first set out so this is sort of doubly unprecedented and he's now appealing which is also unprecedented so i have a uh, i have a dumb question followed by a broad question uh right. which are really those are the two types of questions i, I typically <laughs> ask but uh the joint in the in, in the name of the policy is it with the players association yes that's a good question uh yes it's with the, it's they agreed it's it's similar or similarly to the joint drug agreement for example the okay. league and the union both agreed that this is how they will handle it that okay. the league and, is able to do its own investigation and the league mm-hmm. can sort of unilaterally hand down a punishment but then the union has the right to appeal on the on behalf of the player or to settle as as they do in literally every other case and has the union and, and you know, as I, I think anyone who certainly follows American sports knows, uh, the MOBPA uh, wields uh, much more power compared to their league than, say, the NFLPA and their league. But has the union uh, weighed in on this at all? Have, have they or, or even sort of uh, signaled what they feel uh, about this this level of punishment? I think the union's position is that they work for the player. And so... If the player is appealing, the union is appealing. But the union has not released statements. The, it's not like the union is saying, it, there's nobody like picketing, we support Trevor Bauer from the union side. It's just mm-hmm. their job is to represent the player. I think, honestly, at least in this case, he has significant legal representation. And so the union is more of, it's more of a formality that the union, it goes through the union, but he has several of his own lawyers. They, The union mm-hmm. is not spearheading the fight here. It's just, this is the way it works, that the league and the union come together and try to make it work. Okay. Generally, but they're also, they're also, to be clear, they're not saying we support her, but they're also not, 
nobody has said we think this guy did it and he's in trouble uh they just they're not really they haven't really statements they're not they're not really involving themselves publicly Stephanie, what was the reaction around the league when this happened? Because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the Deshaun Watson suspension and how that will be interpreted uh, by a very broad and sort of by, by a very broad group. How did it how was it received in the MLB community? And what has kind of been your perception of, of the fallout of this so far? <clears throat> you mean among like players, like people who work in the industry or among fans? Yeah, among players. So I think it's mm-hmm. a different answer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think players, Bauer is a polarizing figure to begin with. Um, he he has been doing a lot of um, things that have since become mainstream in terms of his training techniques, but at the time were fairly unusual. And he has sort of a, and that has gotten him in trouble with teammates over the years because he's sort of doing his own thing. And that's not popular among ballplayers they like when you're on kind of the same program uh and he can be a little abrasive with his teammates so his team i mean like there are there have been teammates on the record over the years have said like basically we don't like this guy so he, he this is an unusual player he also um was one of the players who started talking most openly about sticky stuff for a while and said that there was no way to improve spin rates and like basically to change your pitches without sticky stuff that he had done the research and then all of a sudden his pitches started improving in the way that he said could only be achieved by using sticky stuff. He basically implied that he was making a point to the league that if they wouldn't police this, this, these foreign substances that make pitchers better, that, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, but he would never say it. So there, there's sort of a lot of background, I think, that you need to understand before you understand how players. So a lot of players basically are, um, were primed to believe that Trevor Bauer had done something wrong. I think that um, the woman who filed the restraining order, uh, there were photos in her petition, and I think those photos were pretty upsetting to a lot of people. So I think initially there was some sort of horror, actually, I guess would be the word. Like, people were were pretty horrified by it. Um, Then there's been some, like, they've sort of, some of the stuff has played out in public about her texts that she sent and like how much was consensual, you know, this stuff can get messy. And so I Mm -hmm. think a lot of players sort of were like, I don't want to be like, whatever, I'm not, I'm not following this closely. Um, And I think that is sort of where they landed, but I have not, I guess I will say I have not heard players. No player has said to a reporter that I'm aware of, like, that's not fair. We back our guy. They basically all either stayed out of it or sort of shaken their heads and said, this is bad behavior. And then the flip side of that, I mean, you had, you brought up the fans. I'm skipping the order, Gary, and questions a little yeah, bit. I'm sorry. That's, that's but okay. I, but Forgiven. I have to know. Um, that, that was the other part of it. I mean, I think we deal so much, and the NFL certainly deals so much in the perception business, and Roger Goodell had nearly lost his job over uh, his handling sure. of the Ray Rice issue a couple of years ago. Um, and that's how- why, by the way, baseball is so codified, I think, because they saw that happen. And they were like, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, does Bauer's persona give him any sort of traction or power among the MLB's fan base? I mean, is there a is there a sort of clandestine group of Bauer supporters that exist out there that are kind of a loud minority in all of this? Yes. Uh, as anyone who's been on, no one, I would say no one who's been on Twitter would be surprised to learn 
that the answer to that is yes. Uh, <laughs> there are there have been fans who you know like tape over their jerseys and say free Bauer. Uh, mm. I know about that mostly because Bauer reposts to his Instagram anytime somebody does that and tags him. So he's he's quite active on social media. That's the other challenge challenging element in all of this uh, from the league's perspective. But he he definitely because some of what he was doing. So initially he was like a a guy who. He's a professional athlete. He's athletic, but he doesn't necessarily fit the mold. And he, so he looked like a guy who was sort of training himself to be an elite athlete. And so I think a lot of people latched onto that and liked that idea. And so there is a, he had a lot of fans from that idea that this was a person who who found a way to sort of hack sports. Um, So some of those people have remained fans of his. Some of those have, have changed their opinion of him. Um, and then he's, he's like kind of a troll online, you know, he's mm-hmm. very online, he's vlogging all the time, he's tweeting, you know, he inserted himself in the Deshaun Watson thing, he inserted himself in Kyle, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. He's very, he sort of knows what he's doing, he, on Twitter, and so I think there is a collection of people to whom that sort of attitude appeals, and those people feel that because he was not found guilty, or perhaps even if he had been found guilty, that this is unfair, and Certainly, if you uh, if you ever want to find out who those people are, just click on any tweet about any Trevor Bauer story, and there you will find them. Um, it's it's definitely a minority, but it is, as you said, a vocal minority. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, you mentioned he came out in support of Watson. One thing that uh, you know, obviously, every time we do a piece on Watson, uh, you know, one of one of the frequent. Uh, responses as well you know two grand juries uh and people don't get the legalese correct on this but uh it's two grand juries declined to indict Deshaun watson so he will not be charged criminally in the state of texas under their laws uh that they have uh they have drawn up down there uh when it comes (laughs) to these things but bauer is in the same camp in that uh you know in that vein correct correct there was not an acquittal yeah correct it uh, no no jury has has heard this argument and no jury will because the uh, police department in Pasadena declined to press charges so or the DA I guess declined to bring charges uh, so if it I, I think the legalese people do get the legalese wrong a lot uh, you know people say like he was found innocent or whatever which first of all is not a thing that we find people we find them guilty or not guilty but it didn't even get that far there just there haven't been there there hasn't been and there won't be a trial. But at the moment, there is a an appeals hearing. That is what's happening right now because he uh, didn't agree to be suspended for two years. So now, now it moves on to an independent arbitrator who will determine what that suspension should be. We had a bit of a change in the NFL under the last CBA, uh, and I say a bit because it sounds like a bigger change than it actually is, uh, where it will be an independent arbitrator who... Uh, basically advises Roger Goodell on whether or not to punish Sean Watson. Uh, if this arbitrator says no, no punishment, then it's over. Then the NFL can't do anything about it. Uh, okay. However, so it's binding. However, if if the arbitrator comes back and says anything, it says any punishment, says fine him fifty bucks. Uh, Roger Goodell takes that under advisement and then can hand down whatever punishment he wants so yeah the arbitrator can say like you know i'll fine him ten thousand dollars and roger goodell will say sure he's suspended for a decade um 
that seems about as convoluted as I would expect. To be honest. <laughs> that, that feels right, to be honest. It's one of those things where it sounds like it got changed from Roger Goodell just gets to rule over the whole thing as judge, jury, executioner. But uh, in reality, maybe not quite. They they crack the door a little bit. But um, what what is the what is the process now for Trevor Bauer with this uh, with this suspension? And does Rob Manfred get to basically hop back in in the end like Roger Goodell would and just sort of say like, ah, you know, no, like I, I think I was right. So two years. No, the arbitrator will decide. Uh, and so that is part of what's happening right now. I, I believe they're doing it over Zoom. They there are hearings and evidence and testimony and all that. Uh and, you know, Major League Baseball has a, an attorney who's presenting their case. Uh, Bauer's side has an attorney presenting their case, and the arbitrator will decide. So it's actually sort of, it's an interesting um, setup for Major League Baseball in that there's not a ton of downside for them. If they want to make a point about Bauer, I'm not saying they did, but if they wanted to make a point about, say, a player who has been challenging for them to deal with or a player who did not settle uh, and therefore made their life more challenging. If they wanted to, they could impose a very long suspension knowing that in the end, it's not really up to them because he was going to appeal anything. So someone else is going to have to make the decision and they get to have said, we imposed a record punishment. And then someone else is the one who actually will make the decision. So a situation like this one is unusual um, for a lot of reasons. And we also, we really don't know. It's, I mean, it's literally unprecedented. So we don't, baseball has, for example, this arbitrate, the salary arbitration process where players, uh, after their third year in the majors from the in years, uh, four, five, and six, rather they, at first they make the league minimum. And then after that, they go to salary arbitration and they say what they think they should make the team counters. And then the arbitrator picks a number and it's all based on precedent. It's, it's just like, how many home runs did you hit last year? Well, how many home runs did a guy at your position at your age hit last year, or hit in the past, and that will affect how much money you make. Hmm. It, baseball loves precedent, and this they don't have it all. So this is going to be really, really unusual, and he is a player who is fairly litigious, so they knew that going into it, that he was going to... He has sued now at least two media outlets and... The woman who accused him, the the woman who first accused him, but of an incident that happened last, so the first and third woman uh, for defamation. He part of why the investigation took so long is the league was making sure that it had everything it needed, and so here we are. We'll see. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself. Paul Muldoon and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane and he said, Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, What? Salt and pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude, and McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there, and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? 
I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big poppy. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention all you 20-somethings out there. Are you tired of pretending like you have it all figured out? Well, guess what? You're not alone. Get ready to embrace the chaos with the premiere of the fourth season of Crying in Public. Join me, your host, Sydney Winter, as I take the mic solo for the very first time. I'm here to share the good, the bad, and the downright awkward of navigating this crazy thing we call girlhood. Consider this your go-to guide for surviving your 20s with style and grace. Well, for the most part. From dissecting mysteries of modern dating to surviving and thriving in a daily grind of adulting, crying in public covers it all and then some. So grab your headphones, we're about to get real, raw, and a little ridiculous. And let's face it, life's too short to pretend like we've got it all together. It's time to embrace the chaos. So don't miss out on the laughs, the tears, and the inevitable existential crisis. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk some baseball, baseball. Specifically Orioles baseball, but we'll yes. get some non-Orioles stuff. Um, you got to give the people what they want. Yes. Exactly. Fan, and, uh, fans are clamoring. My first question is less a question and more a statement, but like how good has Jordan Lyles been this year? Big free agent pickup here for the Orioles. Yeah, he's uh he has been almost major league average. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good. Eating innings. He eats innings is what he does. He sure does. <laughs> I, I mean, they've been happy with him. He's a very, he's, 
he, yeah, he's got the he's got the veteran locker here. He's the he's uh, he and the catcher Robinson Cano are the only two with more than nine years of service time, and I think the next guy has like three or five. So it's a oh, man. It's, it's quite a young team, and good old thirty-one-year-old Jordan Lyles is by far the second oldest player. It's like uh, it's like. The tanking, we're just going through a tanking thing in the NFL now, and it's just like it just blows my mind that like baseball is like, no, we just did this, you know, yeah, and right. uh, yeah, we we don't have to worry about this. Uh, and the yeah. NFL is like, oh my god, they're doing this, and there's only one thirty year old player, and baseball is like, no, we're, we we've been doing that for a while now. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. The thing that's more ridiculous about baseball tanking is that the players you get in the draft you don't even see for several. Like at best, you'll see them in three years. <laughs> I know, right? For a quarterback who will start game one of the season for you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're tanking for a player that none of your fans have ever heard of and will immediately forget about for three years. At, again, I, at best. Yeah. I've never forgotten about Dylan Bundy, and I never will. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be. Sp- Where, is he still in Major League Baseball? Real Orioles heads. Yeah. He was with the Angels last year. He might be with the Twins right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Bundy is indeed a twin. Okay. Well, good for him. I hope, yeah. I hope it works out. Uh, so that like was the other. Man. That was the good question. So tell us about first of all how to pronounce it correctly. But Adley Rushman is like he's gonna he's gonna save everything in Baltimore. It's gonna be great. Adley Rushman, you got it. Uh, yes. Yeah, he's uh, he he's the future of the franchise, and he knows that that's his job. And so does every fan, and so does every one of his teammates. It's kind of wild, <laughs> actually. That level of pressure. Uh, that's what I'm. That's what I'm here writing about. Is just there aren't that many players who are he was he's been the consensus number one prospect since he was drafted which in baseball means that no fans have ever heard of him but it does mean that he's a like he's a big deal um and there is for a for a ball player coming up there's hype um it's a franchise that is struggling so he's supposed to turn them around he's also obviously a rookie uh and to be a good rookie means you have to shut up but he's also a catcher and to be a good catcher means you have to be a leader so there's a lot (laughs) It's a really, he's being asked to do kind of a lot for a kid who, as his father told Baltimore Sun the other day, was, quote, playing with Legos five years ago. I asked Rushman <laughs> about that. I was like, were you actually playing with Legos five years ago? He was like, no, why did he say that? <laughs> I must have figured a figure <laughs> Yeah, dad, come on. He's also like, Adley Rushman is like, what, four years older than Wander Franco? And like, the Rays were just like, yeah, this guy's really good. Let's get him on the team. The Orioles were just doing the service time thing. Yeah, very, yeah, he's 24. He's also, it takes a while to develop a catcher because there's a lot that you want them to do right, in your system. Right. You have to, they have to really be prepared to show up. Franco also, Rutschman's a college guy. Franco signed, uh, is an international signing, so he signed at 16. So there are some differences, but yeah, he is 24. Like, he wasn't literally playing with Legos five years ago. <sighs> or if he was, he won't admit it. See, so that's, that's the story <laughs> right there. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> So I'll uh, uh, I'll ask this on behalf of I, I, I'm a bit of a baseball guy and Connor's a bit of a baseball guy. I'll I'll ask this on behalf of folks who are out there. They're NFL fans. Uh, we're you know about to enter the summer, and I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but you know there are a lot of people trying to latch onto USFL and, and good, like you know support those guys and all that. But uh, I think folks are probably better off dabbling in in major league baseball this spring and summer but uh, uh specifically for someone who's like jumping in what are the storylines that folks should be kind of like latching on to for the 2022 season it's been pretty fun season so far 
the two, the best teams in, uh, uh, actually, I guess the Astros have recently overtaken the Angels, but until very recently, the team, both the teams in New York and both the teams in LA were leading their divisions. So that was kind oh, of fun from like right. a star power. That had never happened before. So that's fun from a star power perspective. Uh, the Yankees are good and they just hit a ton of dongs all the time. They just hit lots of big boys hitting home runs. Uh, the Mets <laughs> are a team that like finally is being run like a team in New York. They're just spending a ton of money. Watch. Uh, the Angels have this guy Shohei Otani who pitches and hits. First guy to do that in any real way since Babe Ruth. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and that team, and they also have the best player, like possibly the best player ever, Mike Trout, who has been through the playoffs once. He's 30 and uh, never won a playoff series. And so the, the idea that this team could possibly maybe go to the playoffs would be really, or even just play meaningful baseball in September would be pretty exciting. Uh, it's actually almost, it's pretty remarkable that they've had the two like most dynamic players in the sport and not been able to do anything, but that's, uh, that's the angels. Um, so that's been kind of fun. We're dealing with not that much, but there are definitely still some remnants from the Astros sign stealing scandal uh, in 2017 that was revealed in right before the 2020 season. So fans didn't get that year to, to boo them. So uh, they have made up for that by booing them just ever since. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of fun. So if you want, if you're a, if you're trying to get into baseball and you don't really like any team, but you like hating a team, I recommend catching the Orioles or uh, sorry. Wow. Catching the Astros when they Whoa, miss the town. Yeah. Uh, that's that's exciting. Um, the Reds are they're doing a little bit better now, but the Reds were on pace to be uh, potentially the worst team in history. So that's also kind of fun if you want to watch just like sadness and futility. Uh, there are so there are a couple of different ways you can go if you're trying to get into baseball. I would say those that's where I would start: either hatred, badness, or coastal elites. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good headline. <laughs> I I I like the I like Major League Baseball because our biggest cheating scandal in the NFL was a coach that was taping the sidelines of stuff and they never really said you couldn't do that and then they just decided that you couldn't. And like the Astros it's just amazing to me that people are just like whacking trash cans and like it was just phenomenal and i i want more of that in the nfl i'm sure a lot i'm sure nfl teams cheat all the time uh in in myriad ways but to be able to do something like that is crazy to me uh it, but i guess it would also depend on having like a moderately half empty park all the time so you could hear the banging of a trash can like the whole aesthetic is beautiful to me it's amazing it, it rules because in every way because it other than, I mean, look, there were, it's not a victimless crime. There were victims, but it's also, it's, it's sports, you know, right. The, the stakes are not, if we step back at all, the stakes are not actually that high. So you can get mad about something that doesn't really affect your life that much. Uh, it's, it's known as the banging scheme, which is just hilarious. <laughs> like literally the report, the, the commissioner's report referred to it as the banging scheme, which I mean, it, like, sorry, spy gate, deflate gate. What are, give me a break. The banging scheme. The is banging scheme. It involves hitting a trash can, which means great. So fans show up in trash can costumes. They show up with inflatable oh. trash cans. There's so many ways you can go with that. I've seen so many Oscar the Grouches over the years. It's just, it's great. <laughs> it's legitimately hilarious. And the players are actually really mad about it. And so that's fun because they get actually mad when they play the Astros. It's always good, you know, a little spicy. We like 
We like heels. Uh, it's it's just it's delightful. If you're gonna have a scandal, and it look and the integrity of the game matters a lot. And they're all definitely still trying. Or many teams are still trying to cheat. That's what athletes do. Uh, but this, at least they were cheating in an attempt to win. You know, it's not like you're you're not throwing games or something like that. So it probably doesn't do long lasting damage to the sport, and it gets fans fired up. I think in general, net positive the banging scheme. Oh, man. I, I think one more before we get to uh, more than four, but fewer than the six questions. Yeah, uh, sorry. I've been trying to procrastinate. I <laughs> I am I'm going to ask this as are you, but really what I'm asking is should I be? Uh, are you pro or anti-pitch clock? I am pro-pitch clock, and I okay. initially was anti-pitch clock, and I will tell you why I am pro-pitch clock. Have you watched a baseball game? <laughs> yeah. They... <laughs> Yes. It, it's not even the thing about the pitch clock is it's not even a new rule. It's just something that they are the, the umpires aren't enforcing because who wants to be the the umpire has to go out there and be like, actually, that's a ball because you took too long. We haven't enforced this rule in 100 years, but here I am to be the guy. It sort of gives cover to the umpires and everybody's mad. All the minor leaguers are mad right now because of the way they're doing it. They're actually calling a ball on the pitcher or a strike on the hitter if you're not ready. And so at bats are ending because of this. But like, yeah, that's the rule. You'll learn the rule. They'll get used to it, and then we won't. It won't be a problem anymore. It's so much faster, and it, it would solve so many other problems. So, one of the reasons that pitchers take so long is that they're throwing a million miles an hour, and they need to recover as much as possible so they can throw a million miles an hour with wicked movement again. If you eliminate all of that recovery time, they can't throw as hard, and if they can't throw as hard, it's easier to hit. And if it's easier to hit, they might actually hit the ball, and we might have something to watch. So, I think there are a lot of I get it's very romantic that baseball doesn't have a clock. There are a lot of it, – it goes against sort of the game that we ima- – in, in a lot of ways, the game that we imagine that we like. But it actually, I think, would help create a game that we imagine – the game that we imagine that we like. I think it could bring us back to that. So I have become very pro-pitch clock. All right. It's settled then. I have one more before we get to not a question, Please. but just a statement. Everyone should read <laughs> Stephanie all the time, but your Chris Davis story is still one of my favorite pieces of mm. sports writing ever written. I, I mean wow, that from like you. the bottom of my heart. Please I love do that continue. story. Uh, I love that story very much. <laughs> Chris Davis was like an integral part of uh, like my post college life. Like my wife and I have matching Crush City t shirts. Um, <laughs> And I always just after the whole thing happened and he started slumping, I, I fell like I think even more deeply in love with the idea of him, you know, and I just I, I was so I just felt so bad. But in a way that like it was like a love thing, you know, it was like I just I just want you to be happy. And that story just like it still resonates with me. I think about it uh, that's, sometimes. That, so to be honest, that's kind of how I pitched it to him. I was like, everybody's like nobody's succeeded on the level that you guys succeed. Like fans don't know what that's like. But everybody's failed, so you're you're so much more relatable to them now. I think they'd rather they'd almost rather hear from you now that you have go to work every day and just beat your head against the wall. Uh, and he he kind of agreed. He, it's amazing. He just wanted it, the the best feedback I think I've ever had on a story is that went up, and I uh, I actually searched his Twitter mentions afterward, and he had a bunch of people saying, "I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were trying. Like I'll stop yelling at you." <laughs> Because that's what he said to me. He it's was amazing. like, I want to like thank you for letting me talk to you about this because the fans don't think I'm trying. They don't realize I'm trying. And 
so it, it was meaningful to me to then see that fans were like, oh, you are suffering. We will not yell at you as much. Another reason you should like baseball, that fans are willing to apologize in baseball and, and come around. That doesn't happen in the NFL. Well, don't doesn't. give them too much credit. This was like four guys on Twitter. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you have at least four. Okay, That's good. It was say. exciting. Four more than we it, have. This is why it's so memorable to me. <laughs> we'll take those four guys as crossover fans here. There you go. All right. It's time, All Stephanie. Right. No more waiting. Uh, it is time for more than four, but fewer than six questions. Uh, I really like these questions this week. I, I'll just I'll oh, say no. that up front. Uh, that makes it worse. Connor, I will I will take the odds. You take the evens. Okay. Uh, and is of one course, of them? Did you take my suggestion on question to ask? <laughs> we, we At what stadium do the Yankees play? <laughs> <laughs> you I can't just feel like I deserved a gimme. <laughs> All right. First one category is history. Who is the only human to participate as a player in a Super Bowl and the World Series? Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is correct. Oh. And by the way, also also July cover of Sports Illustrated. Jean-Jacques Taylor wrote uh, Deion Sanders' piece. It's really good. You check it out. People should subscribe to the magazine. It's like a podcast, but it's written on glossy paper. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. We should do that. <laughs> Um, no email required for subscription. Um, so uh, the next one, geography. Uh, Stephanie, California hosts the home stadiums of a combined eight MLB and NFL teams. Name the only other state with the home stadiums of at least five combined MLB and NFL teams. Home stadiums, not the teams that not. So like it can't, it's not New York because they play in New Jersey, right? Correct. To be clear. Okay. Yes. Wow. Five? Uh, I'm going to guess Florida? Yes. She got it. Woo! Oh, oh I thought I, know I, thought, many, I thought you were going to go Texas. I, I started, I, well, I was just trying to, I was trying to start with how many states have two Major League Baseball teams and then just kind of hope on the football teams. The Jaguars. Thank God Everyone for the Jaguars. About the exactly. Jaguars. <laughs> exactly. As, as people are saying, thank God for the Jaguars. <laughs> All right, question three. The category is aeronautics. Two weeks ago, Twins right. reliever. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Twins reliever. Joan Duran threw the fastest pitch of the MLB, MLB season so far. A fastball clocked at 103.3 miles per hour. Within five, so you get some leeway. Within five, <laughs> convert that number to kilometers per hour. That is not a fair question. <laughs> Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Who could do that? <laughs> that is such a ridiculously unfair <laughs> that question. Is, that's not an aeronautics question. That's a math question, <laughs> which is so much ruder. <laughs> hang on, hang on. No, I'm going to do it. You just have, but you're going to have to sit there and wait for me. Okay, we, we have, well, we have a lot of, we have a lot of listeners in Europe who, uh, you know, does 103.3 miles per hour mean anything to them? No. It's actually a huge bummer that I don't know the answer to this because I should, because we were in, I was at the Olympics in Tokyo where they also use kilometers. And so I remember this being an issue that the pitch, the the radar gun was in kilometers and we didn't know. I'm not even going to do the math and I'm going to guess it's like 195 because I remember it being in the one, 190, I'm going to say 190. No, I'm sorry. 
166.2. She got within European 30, listeners. which is still amazing. I would it's still pretty so embarrassing. Pretty good. Oh I, it is and by not the way, embarrassing for, for our for our nautical friends. That's uh, 89.8 knots. This is such an indictment of the American education system. <laughs> I'm gonna put put it on them instead of me. Good. As what you is should. it? Point six times point six? Is that the? Is that? Is that how you it, get that's it? That's how I always or, remember. Point, point six. Point six yeah. miles is a kilometer. Yeah. Yeah. You well. say that's how I always remember it. Like this is a <laughs> yeah, thing that you do with regularity. <laughs> if this had been Fahrenheit Celsius, I would have nailed it. I am great. I wouldn't have gotten Celsius. that one either. Double it and add thirty. That one's easy. <clears throat> I'm not. Do, I'm not multiplying anything by point six. All right. Question number four. Potent potables category. Um, Through Thursday, uh, through Tuesday's game. Sorry. uh, Who leads all American League pitchers in batters faced this season? Oh, you know who it is? It's Jordan Lyles. Yes. Yes. He's just eating the innings up. He really is. Does he have a good nickname? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. let's look at his no. baseball reference. No. So, do they do that for baseball? Nickname base- Jordy. Jordy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> baseball seems to be, I remember backing up the baseball beat uh, when I worked at the Star Ledger. And so you'd go see Joe Girardi a lot. And everybody's nickname was just their name with a Y on the end of it. And it seems like that's a very baseball thing. So, Sam Miller, when he was at ESPN, wrote perhaps the best story on this. He went through and he did like kind of the math on baseball nicknames. And then he went to, he tried to figure out not even the math, I guess the, like the linguistics on it. And he tried to figure out how they were created. He went through old clips, whatever. And then he showed up at ballparks and he asked players, like, if my name is Smith, what do you call me? Smithy. And he compiled all these results. And then he did a guide to creating your own baseball nickname. So like I would most likely be Apper, because at the mm. there, it, depending on, I think it's because it's, it's a P for a P they add ER at the end. Typically it's, it's, there's a whole process and I highly recommend the Sam Miller story. It's wow. so good. That's pretty great. Try to come up with a nickname Base, for Ori, you clowns. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would probably be Ori. Ooh. Or you could be CO. Oh, even better. Uh, if your first wish. initial is C, sometimes it's, sometimes your nickname is your initials. Okay. I could do that. All right. So that built up all the drama to uh, question five here. This is the money ball. This is worth two points. You're three for four so far. Uh, Money ball category is arts and culture. In the film Money Ball, Jonah Hill's Peter Brand character is based on what current NFL team executive who did not sign off on his name being used in the movie? Paul DePodesta. Who was correct. with the Dodgers after that, and I don't know where he is in the NFL, but I know he's there. Yes! That is correct. That's Fantastic. a Fantastic. That That's is a five. so much better. That I was, all I wanted to do was avoid zero. This show's <laughs> make me anxious. It's the pressure. <laughs> I feel like I could have done the kilometer thing if you had given me more time, but everybody's looking at me on Zoom. It's just <laughs> it's a really stressful experience. I was while you were while you were doing the math, I was actually rewatching Adley Rushman's first career hit on YouTube. So I wasn't feels, looking at you. Yeah, yeah, that seems right. If I had to guess what you were doing during that time, that's probably what I would have guessed. Smoked should we one. should we be springing this on people? The quiz? Yeah. No. Okay. Because. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think of of the three people that we've quizzed so far, two of them have not really thoroughly enjoyed it. So I think it's something that we need it was to better than them I out thought for- it would be. I will not give it the full Jenny uh, actually kind of fun review, but I will say it was better than I feared. Okay, <laughs> that's it. it that's good. that's our podcast motto. <laughs> I also spent a little while being afraid that it was going to be NFL related questions. So I I did feel better once I realized that I was not going to be asked to know anything about football. To be clear, before we sign off, uh, I mean, you did a Terrell Pryor piece for us back in the day, back in like 2015, 2016. Yes, and I would be happy to answer questions about Terrell Pryor as he was depicted in that story or anything that happened to him before then. Yeah. And Al Saunders. I remember there was an Al Saunders, I don't know, interview. I would. Al Saunders was involved. I could perhaps answer questions about stories that I specifically have written, or <laughs> stories that, like maybe Bishop, or you know, like stories specific stories that I have read and liked. But if you are going to ask me to answer a question about football information, you're going to be disappointed, and you're just. It, it, I, I feel it feels unfair to the listeners. You know, they come here for for the the great insight that you guys provide, and I don't want to drag the average down. <laughs> Oh, that's the nicest here. thing anyone's ever <laughs> said about say, this podcast. They, they come here continuing to wonder why they come here. <laughs> they keep coming back. Maybe it's for the Jordan Lyles coverage. Yes. <laughs> the MMQB NFL podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Mravik is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Super Bowl champion Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right, no co-host to rein me in, just me and myself in the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb travelling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.